Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Season 8 of Game of Thrones premiered on Sunday, and you can deep dive with the Ringer staff as we make our way through the final episodes of the series. On the podcast side, listen to Binge Mode Game of Thrones with Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion, The Watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, and a pre-cappable series on the Recappables feed where we'll make predictions on episodes to come. In addition to our Sunday night Twitter after show called Talk the Thrones, we'll be releasing tons of videos over the course of the series. So make sure to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the ringer. And for even more Game of Thrones coverage, head over to the ringer.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Beyonce brought some new content into the world last night. Beyonce's back. We'll talk about that. Also want to talk about the latest with longstanding couple Katie Holmes and Jamie Foxx. And I made a personal trip last weekend to see Diana the Musical in La Jolla, California, which I'd like, <laughs> to, I'd like to tell you about, Amanda. And um, let's just get into it. Let's talk about Beyonce first and foremost. She has a documentary on Netflix. It's very long. It is very long. Well, here's what you have to remember. So this documentary is called Homecoming, and it is the filmed version of her historic transcendent performance at Coachella last year. Right, one year ago. And it is both— Feels longer, by the way. It does. Yeah, I mean, life just takes on—it's endless now. It moves very fast, and it's also endless. There's so much to go on. So it is the filmed version of that, along with some behind-the-scenes footage of how the concert was put together and some narration and insight— from Beyonce. It is directed by Beyonce, executive produced by Beyonce. It is her own vision of last year's Coachella performance. And we should also note that she released it, she and Netflix released it between 2019 Coachella weekends. Right. Which is very funny. It is very funny. And I've already spent more time thinking and consuming this content than I have anything to do with actual Coachella this year. Related to that, I've heard the Coachella live stream is like very poor. Like it's like not well done at all. And so, I would say the the Beyonce documentary, the concert footage is is really nice. Looks really cool. It's fantastic. And I think, remember, we spent a lot of time talking about this performance last year because we were really quite moved by it. It is really just an artistic triumph. Beyonce is an incredible pop star and an incredible dancer and performance artist. And it... So we talked a lot about it and how great it was. And in many ways, like, the concert performance aspects of this are—it's really well filmed, but it's, like, not that different from the live stream that we watched last year because that was also really well filmed. And it was, like, being at Coachella and getting to experience it. And she—one of the interesting things about the documentary is that she was thinking so much about how the performance would translate on film, even as she's putting it together. Which we didn't know at the time. But, I mean, you could kind of tell because you were just like, wow, this looks great. It's yeah. like I'm there. Yeah. Um, it, it did look, I think, you now realize, like, she was involved in the live stream aspect of it as yes. well and, and everything. It's impressive. I mean, it's also amazing that she, um, like many great artists, like, kind of can find ways to, like, repackage what she's doing to still make it innovative and feel, like, it's not new music, but just feels, it, it still feels different. I listened to the live album this morning, actually, when I woke up because I saw that it, that was available on Spotify. And it was just funny because earlier in the week, you know, we're talking about how um, Lemonade is not on Spotify. Oh, yeah, that's true. We were. I have like a lot of haters takes on, on the documentary. Okay. <laughs> Do you, I mean, would you like to share them? Yes, I would like to share them. First of all, you directed me to watch her, like 
her, like, sort of there's, like, a three-minute portion around in, like, the second hour, in the middle of the second hour. Yeah. Where she's kind of talking about her intentions and what she wanted from the film. And then you see her talking to, like, the kind of, like, creative staff or whatever. Yeah, she's giving feedback. Yeah, and it's it's pretty impressive. And the way that she speaks to them is, like, very stern. And then she tries to end on a positive note of, like, I know everyone's working hard. Like, we'll, we'll get it. Which I, I thought was, like, all great, like, CEO behavior. But there's such a dissonance. There's just there's just a lot of dissonance around this project to me. Number one being, why is her VO, her voiceover in the film, really low-quality audio when you're looking at pristine concert footage? Yeah, I mean, there are some creative choices here. Like, everything that is not the live video from Coachella, I think— and this seems to be a choice to contrast between, like, now you're watching the concert and now you're watching rehearsal footage. And But much of the rehearsal and behind-the-scenes footage is kind of, like, done in an Instagram filter. Yeah. And she is narrating, but the narrating is, like, she left you a voicemail. Yes. Those are specific creative choices that are strange to me. I have a conspiracy about that. Okay. Which is, I think a lot of what she was doing was focusing on the live stream so that people everywhere could watch it. Mm-hmm. And then after the fact, decided to turn this into, like, a Netflix film. And so it's sort of, like, stitched together a little bit. I think that's probably true. I think you— And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm not, like, critical of that. But I just think it's, like, weird that it sounds like she's on the phone. Like, as people who do and listen to podcasts, like, it's just worse when someone's on the phone. Yeah. And it felt very much like a second rate compared to a lot of the rest of it. Well, I don't think that it's, like, an after-the-fact thought because we have to keep in mind that, like— Beyonce has a personal archivist. She has people filming herself at all times. She's always thinking about how to present herself and recording and memorializing things so that she can use it for content. And, you know, this has several montages that are like the montages that show up at her concerts, which are like very quick flash images of the family and her and Jay and the kids and all of the things that people get really excited about. So she makes pretty specific decisions about how to put all this stuff together. I just think that maybe she thinks it's, like, personal, personalized, yeah. like, Instagram-friendly. I don't know. It's, like, I, I, it's not how I would have put it together, yeah. but I don't think that it's for lack of thought. Sure. How about that? Sure. I just think it kind of reinforces, I guess, maybe this is confirmation bias, but I just think there's such a huge difference between— Beyonce when she's on stage and performing and Beyonce in any other venue. And I and I include like her photo shoots as like a like a, a variation of her performance and like this in like the really amazing photos you'll see in Vogue or elsewhere as like incredible art. Like she is I think her art is really amazing and important and impressive. But then I think there's just like a real dissonance between um how her voice comes through in those moments versus when you actually hear her talking. And it's, and I think part of that is because you only hear her speak in in the documentaries about herself that she produces, basically. Yeah. And so it's like, it's kind of weird to, it, there's just, to me, like a, a real imbalance between the person who is speaking, who has decided like, this is the time I'm going to talk and I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. And she, you know, the, kind of like the other example I was thinking of is her, her HBO documentary, which right. was a yeah, few years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't think of that many other times when I've heard heard her voice when she's just speaking. And then also like, if um, I went to the tour for Beyonce and when she does like kind of, she talks during the concert and shows some films of her or whatever. There's just a real dissonance to me between the level of polish between her talking and then like her art. And I, I think her art is incredibly powerful and she's really important. In like a weird way, I find some of her like soliloquies like undercut the weight of the work she puts into her performance. Right, because 
she's trying to she's doing myth making but yeah. like the way that Beyonce makes myths is in her performance and her yeah. art and in her mastery of music and visuals and putting those all together and she is a tremendous songwriter and there there is like a writing and storytelling involved in all of that but it's you know when you're just like sitting there putting together speeches or you know small monologues they sometimes don't have the same impact that like her dancing and her sure. and her artwork does so i get that i my thing is also you know myth making is important and we talk a lot about it on this podcast and she does it so well but i found myself just wanting more of the behind the scenes stuff yeah because she is so smart and this and so intentional and like has a genius mind for this, like literally is a genius about this stuff, and I want to know how it happens. Yeah. I pointed that scene to you of her giving feedback because, you know, I thought it was fascinating. It's always interesting to see women in power. Like, it, there are 50 people in a room, and she's giving precise instructions and asking for more, and, like, Jay-Z is just, like, sitting right next to her in silence, which, I mean, it's a fascinating, but it's interesting just to watch those types of business situations because you don't really see them as much. Yeah. But it is just also interesting to me to, like, see how this works. Like, how—our first question after watching this was, like, how did they keep this silent? Like, yeah. hundreds of people worked on this and all signed NDAs and there were no leaks, nothing. And I want to know how that happens. And I want to know, like, the rehearsals. And I want to know what she's looking for when she's, you know, putting the set together. I I find people who are this good at what they do, they come alive and it's and are most interesting when they're just talking about their work. Yeah. they And— she stays away from that for some reason. And I guess, you know, there is the trade-off of you don't want to see, like, it loses its magic when you go behind the scenes yes. a bit. So I understand that. And I understand that she is trying to create a larger image and maybe doesn't want to show the humanity behind it for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And to that point with the humanity behind it, she also makes a point, which is obviously true, to be like, it takes so many people to do this. Like, it's not just me. But then she pivots to like, I did this, I did that, I did that. And like, I, I think it's, I think it's awesome that she takes credit where she deserves it. But I also think that it's, like, weird to obscure all the people who work on her stuff that in, in a way that, like, I'm like, I just I want to check the credits to, like, see who else worked on this. And, like, I don't usually care. And it's weird to, like, go, to me it's just weird to, like, go out of your way to be like, so many people worked on this and then and then to just sort of, like, Yeah, but it's, like, to me it's, credit. like, literally no different than what male directors sure. have been doing for, like, hundreds of years and still do. And then sometimes they'll be like, well, you know, my costume designer or whatever. But, like, yeah. the entire study of, like, cinematic history is built around, like, great male sure. directors. So— that, I think that's messed up, too. So it's—which it, is totally messed up. So in some ways, I don't mind her doing the same thing. Sure. I thought a lot about—have you ever had anyone make you watch The Last Waltz? No. So Last Waltz is a documentary—it was a concert and then a documentary— about the band, mm. directed by Martin Scorsese, oh, yeah. which is like a classic dude you know in your early 20s makes you watch this <laughs> shit because it's the most important stuff in the world. And it was like boring out of my mind. But for a certain type of serious dude, it's like really a really important. important film. And I don't care about that at all. But I like that we have this version. Yeah. And I like that Beyonce is uh, working on this level. Sure. Yeah, I I agree with you. I just think there's a lot. I just think that like there's a lot of um, like I said, like dissidents, and and I don't I don't know. You're like not supposed to criticize her, so I, I like to criticize her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, is it necessary? Is this documentary totally necessary? I don't know. I think probably more people will watch this, be able to watch this, who didn't catch the live stream. Yeah. 
even though I think a lot of people watch the live stream. And I do think it's a higher quality than the live stream. Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks really, really good. You know, I think she also kind of explicates or makes, you know, the inspirations were pretty clear in the actual performances, but she talks about the debt to, like, historically back colleges and universities. Yeah. And she, you know, quotes other black artists, and she's kind of making those influences and references really clear, which is a value to people who, like, maybe need that education. Sure. So Yeah, and she talks about how she always wanted to go to um, an HBCU yeah. and, and everything. You know, and she talks again about the struggle of her pregnancy and you know, then kind of balancing that. It's not like she doesn't give like a ton of information and a lot of it is about her diet. And that's obviously the first thing that people have gone on to, which says as much about us as about her. But, you know, I think as a document, it's useful. It's things that we all knew, but sure. We pay a lot of attention of attention to these things and having it on Netflix for anyone, I think there's value in that. Sure. I also liked the moment where you saw that there was some massage, like giving her a massage, like when she's in the middle of the meeting. That yeah. was funny too. <laughs> I just I find like the the constant myth making like just kind of exhausting. I wish she was just a little bit a little bit more like frank. But at the same time, I mean her, I find her art like really amazing. I think the concert footage is awesome. Yeah. She says somewhere in there, I want to create something that lasts like beyond me. Yeah. And that is what myth-making does. If it was just about her and, like, her dramas, we would know a lot more about her, and it might be more vital in this moment. It's true. it's not the thing that lives on. Totally. I just, just like, hate that she's like, you can't criticize her. So then I just feel so compelled to do it because because it's, like, taboo for whatever reason. Yeah, I just—it's hard to criticize anyone in a— the way that I don't agree. I like to I criticize everyone. Well, no, I mean you and I do all the time, <laughs> but I just think like the way that people talk about anything in public now is yeah. so it's polarized. You're sure. like either like Saint Beyonce or you're, you know, the worst person or you're kind of give enough credit. Yeah. You know, like it's just kind of there are no nuances. There's no room for actual critical discussion. And she is a prime example of that because she has such like a vicious, obsessed fan base yeah. who will really come after anyone. And I, I don't find that of value either. Me neither. But I think it is possible to have an interesting discussion of of her and celebrity and sure. art and how they go together. Yeah, I just definitely. don't think you can have them with, like, internet commenters. Yeah, you definitely can. And I, like, respect her diligence, obviously, and, like, her commitment to the I'm like, not saying you have to work. like her. Yeah. I think this is, like, this is good. This is... Not it's not lemonade. It's not the self-titled drop. I mean, maybe it is in a, in a way because this is also her live performance is part of her what makes her so special, and this is kind of memorializing that and giving it to a lot of people who can't go to her concert. So. Yeah, I don't want to go to her concert, but I like watching her perform, so yeah. I'm happy with it. Yeah, it's also it's just um, Netflix is very impressive. It's just kind of like getting this done, I guess. Also, it's interesting to me that she's just sort of, like, back to being multi-platform, basically. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, obviously there was the title era, and now, the the like, the 40-track album is on Apple and Spotify, and this is on Netflix, and it's sort of back to— I, I appreciate that as someone who never signed up for title, even even for the Beyoncé drop. Three months ago, I learned that I was still paying for title, even though I hadn't listened to anything on it. I think I signed up for their joint, their surprise joint album. Mm. Which was on Spotify like four days later. Right. But then I forgot to cancel title. 
And I appreciate that I don't have to re-sign up for title for this. I was paying for AOL for a very long time. Um, did Beyonce kill Coachella? Like, was this just sort of like the peak? Like, will it ever get as good or as me- as impactful or as meaningful? I don't think it will ever be as great. It's really, really hard to do what she did at a festival live setting yeah. when you don't have total control over everything. And also, you know, the significance of it. She was the first uh, black female artist to headline Coachella, which is Amazing. nuts. Amazing. Also, I mean, also nuts, but because it's 20 years this, this yeah. fall, I believe. But so the significance of it, the surprise of it, the scale of it, I don't think that you'll ever get there. Also, Coachella, eh. Did you watch any of the Ariana Grande performance? No, how was it? I just watched the like two minutes of NSYNC and then some of the other stuff. It was good. I don't know. It's definitely weird to get in sync with Justin Timberlake and, and to only have them for like one song. But I guess she, I guess it was two songs because she samples "It Makes Me Ill." Right. So they did they did a little bit of that, and then they went into um, I think "Tearing Up My Heart," and it was good. I mean, I like her music. I I think they're like we're a little her music is like we've reached a saturation point. Like it was mm-hmm. like too too much too quickly. I really like a lot of her her hits. Um, and obviously she's very resilient. But you know she's. Maybe she she's very young, so maybe she'll get to the Beyonce level of craft. She's not I, there yet. I think it'll be different, which yeah. is fine. You know, she's a primarily a vocalist. She'll yes. never really be a like performer in the physical way that Beyonce is, which yeah. is, you know, different people. You don't sure. not everyone has to do different stuff. It's interesting to me, like, does Coachella matter anymore? I don't know. Some of the Vanderpump Rules cast went, but not all of them. Some of them are in Florida, okay. and I felt like that was an indictment. Okay. They usually travel in packs. I, maybe it's just kind of gone back to the appropriate level of significance. Sure. Because there was a moment there where it was just everyone yeah, from was like 20, living From like 2013 life. to 2018, for like five years, it was like a huge, huge thing, I think. Right. And they expanded it to two weekends. It right. was like kind of like the Coachella era. And maybe we're done with the Coachella era. And maybe, and like, and then it can exist and people who are interested in going to the desert and doing whatever you do in the desert and experiencing music. <laughs> Drugs. I, You know what? Maybe, maybe not. Up to you. Swim in a pool? Yeah. Just uh, look at the stars. There are sure. lovely stars out there. Whatever you want to do. But it, and maybe it's just kind of receded to just a normal level of sure. cultural significance. Sure. Yeah, I think that, I think that sounds appropriate for everyone. But also like getting there is to pain. That's like, among many reasons why I would never go to Coachella. Well, the I'm not talking, are really I didn't hard. ask whether Coachella like matters to us because <laughs> you and I are have you been? No, I went to um uh Stagecoach okay. a few years ago and that was fun, but I never want to go again and yeah. also like I like left early every day and didn't make it to the end. Yeah. And um it was I think I didn't even attend Sunday. It I, it's not for me. Music festivals are in, in no way for me. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I can't appreciate, uh, you know, other people, that meeting something to other people. Sure. And their place in the the zeitgeist. But it seems like both, it seems like the zeitgeist is coming to me. Do you, you with the Bachelor stars, they all, like, go on to be Instagram influencers now mm-hmm. and, like, get yeah. into the, the Revolve scene. And I guess Revolve has, like, a really big party there every year. Yeah. And so I saw a lot of that on Instagram, and everyone's outfits were just, like, so ridiculous. And I saw I saw one Bachelor person, who I won't name, mm-hmm. just being, like, it's amazing how hard all the, inst- all the influencers work. Like, they just—it's, like, 
you know, the hustle every day. And like, while that is true, I think it is like a slog to make, to make Instagram your livelihood. I was just like, do we really need to be complimenting like <laughs> these Instagram influencers for working really hard? I, I don't know. And I was just like, this is a weird Rubicon. I mean, they did go to Coachella and we didn't. It's true. The only person I follow who went to Coachella, are you familiar with the, the Instagram? I don't know whether he, we would call him an influencer because I think he's more of like a comedian content creator. Sure. Ricky Thompson. No, I don't know Do him. you know about him? You've possibly seen one of his videos that went very viral that ends with like success and he puts his arms. All right, I'll show it to you later. We can. I don't know it. We can. Um, he also recently had dinner with Adele, which I thought maybe oh. he would have come up on your radar. Interesting. In New um, York or L.A.? In Los Angeles. Oh. He is extremely talented, and he was at Coachella and uh, Shining, and I felt great about that. And it's kind of like, that's that's who I'm should be at Coachella, and I will look at his photos. And Many Real Housewives were there as well, we'll move on. of Beverly Hills. All right. So that's how another way made, made its way into my Instagram feed. Yeah. So the reality stars were there is what, okay. I'm, what I'm saying. And the influencers. Well, that seems like America in 2019. It's surprising there's not an Instagram filter called Coachella. Don't you think there could be one? Is there not one? I don't think so. That's like a missed opportunity for branded content. It's by really everyone true. involved. I, com- I completely agree. Do you think agree. Instagram like wants to be associated that closely with Coachella though? Because I, it kind of already is, but it, at some point that's like there are only so many people who are going to invest in the Coachella vibe yeah. and spirit, and if that's like the only way to use Instagram, then that's closing your markets. You know, that's true. That's true. I don't. I don't know, like, what the ideal brand alignment is for Instagram. It's so it's so many things with so many people mm-hmm. that I, I don't even I, know. Yeah, that I think they just have to, like, chase a all-brands welcome policy. Yeah, absolutely. And it, because it's certainly not the same as, like, the Super Bowl, but I'm sure they also want to be there. Yeah. It's a, it's just interesting. I keep forgetting there's a whole other weekend of it coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing is, back to, like, its influence, very tough to go up against Tiger Woods' redemption story, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones— Mm-hmm. And the NBA playoffs. I mean, mm-hmm. playoffs are probably like the least important of those things. But I just feel like it didn't even win the weekend. And like not even like, I think it's like number three on that list of four big things, at least to the Ringer universe happened last weekend. Sure. It's like a clear number three behind Tiger and Game of Thrones. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is just that even with the live stream and with Instagram and everything we were talking about, it really is like a situational and exclusive experience. Yeah. Like. Not that many people can go and participate in it. And there is something very different in watching, like, a live stream of Ariana Grande versus watching the Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Just in terms of, like, CBS is really experienced in in art directing that stuff. They did— And Ariana Grande didn't hire Beyonce. Right, exactly. (laughs) Which, again, credit to Beyonce. Yeah, maybe she should have. Just, like, understanding the opportunity and the ways to turn this small thing into something larger, which is a gift that—and both an insight and, like, the— logistical and abilities to be able to pull that off. It's, it's true. Specifically Beyonce. I will say it's probably like good in some ways good for Coachella for it to be experiential and not like something that's like mask modified across like digital platforms and because like the trend I think there's like an aspect of FOMO that you want to have people to have. So they like want to be there because ultimately they make money from brands and being there and ticket sales and yeah, and whatnot. It's and, true. You know, concerts are concerts are meant to be um taken in in person and like not necessarily like some kind of major discussion piece. So I'm told. I know. So I'm told, too. That's why I'm happy to have homecoming, because I don't want to go to a concert. 
<laughs> I'd rather watch it from home. All right. I really want to talk about Katie Holmes and Jamie Foxx. But first, let's talk about today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Philo.tv. With Philo, say goodbye to expensive TV bills and horrible customer service. Philo is a new way to watch all the TV you love. It's the cheapest way to watch over 50 of your favorite channels, including Hallmark, HGTV, Food Network, AMC, MTV, Lifetime, so many to choose from. Catch the biggest shows on TV like The Walking Dead, Live PD, SpongeBob, and Paw Patrol for you or perhaps your kid, more likely. Plus tons of classic shows and movies. Enjoy live and on-demand TV, plus unlimited recording, for only $20 a month, and never miss a minute of the shows you love. Philo is great for watching TV from your TV, phone, or computer whenever you want. There's never been a better deal on cord-free, commitment-free, hassle-free TV. Philo is available on Roku, iOS, Fire TV, Android TV, and Apple TV. To start your free trial, visit philo.tv jam. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash jam. And if you go now, you'll also get 15% off the first month. All right, Amanda. Yes. We've never really dug into Katie and Jamie on this podcast, that being Katie Holmes, she of Dawson's Creek and formerly married to Tom Cruise, and Jamie Foxx. Like, I don't even know how to categorize him. I would just say he's like a really famous guy, actor. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think is, what's the most famous thing that Jamie Foxx has done? That's a great question. I mean, he won an Oscar. For being in Ray. Yes, but that's definitely not his most famous movie. Uh, let's see. I mean, At the Ringer, Collateral is probably his most famous movie. That's really true. I love Collateral, but I, again, don't think that's, like, the most famous thing about Jamie Foxx. Like, is it, is it, at this point, is it being on the Gold Digger song with Kanye West? Like, what is it? I don't, he's just, like, generally famous. I think he's most famous to you for discovering Ed Sheeran. Isn't that correct? Yes. For me, it is yeah. discovering and fostering no, a No, it's true. He's done a lot of things and has spanned, like, a long career. And yeah. I guess there are probably not that many people who remember In Living Color, so. It's just amazing. He's just been also ageless. I, I, I would believe he's 37. I believe he's 47. I believe he's 57. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for five years, five, he's been dating Katie Holmes. Five years? I think it's a long time. I'll fact check that right. number in a second. We can do a pickup. But he's been dating Katie Holmes for a really long time. And it was a secret. For it was a, while. a secret. This is the other thing. But it, was, it was like a badly kept secret. It was a badly kept secret. And recently, he stopped doing an interview. He walked out when he was asked about Katie Holmes. Like this was in 2019. And many people didn't believe this relationship. I didn't at first, but I actually believe it now. I think they really are dating. Okay. Do you think they're dating? I don't know what to believe. Let's just, let's go back through the history. So it was rumors for a while, and it wasn't too long after her Tom Cruise divorce. Yes, not too long. And it was, it it was extremely secret, and for a while, like, I don't even think there were paparazzi photos. And then there would be the occasional, like, hiding in a, you know, behind a gate or long lens into pretty invasive yes paparazzi photographs or like one time fairly recently they were spotted at the was this paparazzi or was just this someone reported to at us at the center that they city were, mall no at oh. the malibu fair oh that was i think we just reported yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we didn't see pictures of that okay so it was just kind of like data points coming together but it was very clear that they were not public about it and there was something about 
the known aspect of it, it was kind of like, we know this is happening, but they don't want to share it at all that made it seem strange. I think also because it was so close to the Tom Cruise situation, which we just all continue to have a million questions about and will <laughs> and like till the end of time or until like someone outlives him and writes a memoir. But we were just skeptical of anything. Like we just had a lot of questions about Katie Holmes and the choices that she was making. Yes. And Jamie Foxx, because Jamie Foxx very famously brought his daughter on like every red carpet appearance mm-hmm. for a while and just sort of lives a pretty private life until apparently this week. And so, like, I'm telling you, I think it was at the Super Bowl, like, a couple of months ago, he walked off an interview when he was asked by Katie Holmes. He did not want to talk about it. And then last week, the Daily Mail ran grainy photos that looked, and they're really grainy, so that's why I'm pretty sure they were not staged, of Katie and Jamie at the Century City Mall here in Los Angeles. Okay. Like Dan Taifung? Um, I don't know. They just were walking around. They apparently had spent four hours there, so I, I assume they went to a movie, though, like, I do understand how one is able to spend a lot of time there. That is, that, you know, it's a great mall. They're with his daughter, and I was like, okay, cool. I guess they—I was like, this seems, like, kind of legit to me. Okay. Whatevs. And then yesterday, the Daily Mail gives us a gift of— a photo article with the he- with the headline, Katie Holmes looks happier than ever as she strolls hand-in-hand with Bo Jamie Foxx in New York. And these photos are staggering. They have a clarity that no photos of Jamie Foxx and Katie Holmes have had before. They're like, definitely could be printed at 300 DPI. Um, they are from theimagedirect.com, which is not a usual photo agency okay. for the Daily right. Mail. They very consciously don't even look close to the camera. They're, like, looking down or each each other or, like, straight ahead. It's, like, at an angle where they're, like, pretending to ignore the cameras. And she's wearing an absurd outfit. (laughs) (laughs) She's wearing a dogfish head ale hat that's, like, a trucker hat. It's, like, Mm -hmm. white netting and blue in the front. And then she's wearing, like, it looks like a Patagonia sweatshirt, but I know it's fancier than that, in gray, and it's oversized. And then she's wearing oversized gray torn-up Park City sweatpants. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, I thought they were like purposely. I thought they were distressed. I thought distressed. they were yeah, fashion distressed. You're, you're right. They are. I okay. just, they are. <laughs> I, well, I mean, they could have <laughs> not been. No, you're correct. And then she was wearing um, uh, Adidas shell toes with red stripes. Mm-hmm. And he, meanwhile, he's dressed for like something slightly different, but, uh, but, and oh, and then of course, she has a, I believe this is a Gucci fanny pack like around her neck though like over mm-hmm. her shoulder yeah. as, as like the hip way that like many NBA players wear their fanny packs these days yeah. meanwhile he's wearing like a really nice black overcoat with like leather detailing also wearing distressed pants a crew neck sweatshirt that says like squared something and then I think these are like fancy Gucci sneakers that I, that I don't know because I'm not cool and I think these photos are staged we we talked about it and I was like I, I DM'd you I was like Amanda I think that that Katie and Jamie are doing paparazzi photos now. And they were like, yeah, I didn't even assume that. I assumed they were. It didn't occur to me that these were candid or them being caught out by the paparazzi. I looked at it and my honest reaction, I was like, oh, so they're going public. They've decided they've made the choice to be photographed and be public. That's just like I looked at a photograph and that was my instant reaction because they are so clearly aware of the camera, comfortable for the camera, purposeful for the camera. There's also one of these pictures, cat, one photo catches a paparazzi behind them. So they're being photographed like at multiple angles and everything. Yeah. Um, this is like a bit, this is like a big deal. Can I follow up for you? Yes. Today? Yes. There were paparazzi photos. They're still in New York. 
Yeah, she lives on the Upper West Side. And there is it. So they aren't together in this photograph, but Jamie Foxx is picking up luggage and he is holding his phone out while picking up the luggage in a way that, like, you wouldn't do this Mm -hmm. to show that it is Katie Holmes on FaceTime. On the here, look at this. It's so weird. I I didn't look even see that. this this morning. I just found this. Oh wow! So they are clearly they've made a decision to go public. Also, once again, that's from the ImageDirect.com. I I I don't really know that credit that well. Okay. Like I and like I I look at the Daily Mail like hourly. So like that's like also that's like noteworthy. Someone's yeah. like someone's getting the exclusive. Can we just like one second here? Just sure. a side note. We'll talk about the implications of this being a FaceTime with Katie Holmes. But what's up with people just like FaceTiming and not looking at each other? You know, FaceTime like f- is like really taken over. Why? What is useful about that? I don't know. It's like Amanda. people aren't even holding or looking at it. It's just kind of like they're waving their phone around and you're just looking at blurry pictures of the sidewalk and stuff. It's really weird. Also, presumably, like he just left her. So, like, they're just like using FaceTime instead of the phone. One thing I've heard is that celebrities like to use FaceTime because then they can know if, like, other people are in the room. Like, you can, like, make people, like, show, so you can—but I, I don't think that's why they're doing it. Okay. If I if I had to guess. <laughs> I, I It's just—anyway. So this is—they've clearly made a decision to go public. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like, I, I don't know why now, and it's just really weird. I'm, like, confused by this. And then the photos of Katie Holmes in this, in this Daily Mail article— Mm-hmm are from Backgrid and obviously not stage. Like, she got popped in, in these, you know? Okay. I think of, like, if you... There are, like, a lot of weird angles, and I, I think that she... I think she didn't know these were going to happen. Okay. And it's just, like, an interesting dichotomy. She just looked like her regular self. I don't, I don't know. I'm very confused by why they decided. Maybe because they just were getting hounded so much, or maybe they're engaged, and, like, it's going to come out soon. I'm looking at both their IMDb pages. Because what is this real time investigative work? Well, because my yeah, first did, instinct is, what are they promoting? Yeah, what are they promoting? And it doesn't seem like they're promoting. I mean, you never know. But you, it's true you don't. It's just a. This is just a weird development. I wasn't ready for this. And let's just go back to uh, the photos from yesterday okay. where she's wearing the sweats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're doing your first stage paparazzi photo call, is this the outfit that you choose? As, as as Kaya, our producer, pointed out, if this were stage, I would have told her to wear a better outfit. She selected these sweats specifically for being photographed. I So this is great. I'm glad you brought this up because I'd love to talk about this more generally. Fashion is in a really, really weird place right now. <laughs> It's just like in a Have really— Have we talked about pajama fashion on this podcast? Uh, well, we talked about with Chloe. Oh, but right. yeah, so listen, all fashion is always geared towards young people and is supposed to look forward and is supposed to be, you know, innovative. But And so, like, old people always look a little stupid wearing really trendy stuff. And I think that some of it is just that, like, Katie Holmes is wearing something that is too young for her yeah. and she can't pull it off. Yeah. But it, it is happening so much now. I walk into stores where I used to shop all the time. And I'm getting old. That's fine. Like, I can't wear what I— could wear when I was 24. But it's also a really tough time. If you can't pull off the trendy stuff— like, you really cannot pull it off yeah. right now. There's no middle ground. Yeah, and you just and gotta stay away. You look really dumb. And I kind of think that's what it is. Like, I think that's probably an extremely expensive outfit. Remember the paparazzi yes, photo is. from— You're definitely correct. Like, a week or two ago that I shared with you of Daniel Craig and Rachel Weiss yes. out in Brooklyn. And 
Daniel Craig is wearing just like really expensive like man clothing. You know, he's wearing a top coat and a, a very like big, lovely scarf that he's tied jauntily and like nice jeans and boots. And I think like it must his outfit must cost thousands of dollars. And I think Rachel Weiss is also cost thousands of dollars, but she's just wearing like hypebeast clothing. <laughs> and Rachel Weiss is literally the most beautiful woman in the world to my eyes. I would leave my husband for Rachel Weiss. I love her too. And I, she's and she's just that's not the look for her. I mean, she looks okay because she's Rachel Weiss and she's so beautiful, but it looks goofy. It's like, ma'am, it, it's time to wear some grown-up clothes. I know. Let's get you a new stylist. Yeah. I've been working really hard on, on dressing older, so maybe she wants some tips from me. That would be great. <laughs> I would love to be a part of that, and I'll just sit there like Catherine Hahn and watch Rachel Weiss, and it'll be great. So anyway, that's my diagnosis on this, is in fact that she's trying a little, and I think we all have to be realistic about—you can't let the clothes wear you, you know? It's true. And the clothes are wearing Katie Holmes. I think they also tried to look a little matchy-matchy, like similar vibe, like Mm -hmm. same-same, but like we're both casual, we're both in sweats. Yeah. I I don't know. Katie Holmes must be such a— a kook. I don't even know what else to say. I would love to spend time with her. Wouldn't you just like, I really would like her. I need her to outlive Tom Cruise. I need Penelope Cruz to live out, outlive Tom Cruise. I just, I need to know. I was, I was watching an episode of Dawson's Creek the other night. I don't know why. I guess because I, I've had, I've, because you have a giant Dawson's Creek poster in your office because you like it and because it's important to enjoy the things that you like. There's nothing wrong with that. This is what happened. I okay. got home from our Talk the Thrones show here on at the Ringer, which you can watch on Twitter. I was immediately following Game of Thrones on Sunday, and I just it was like a lot of adrenaline, like just come home yeah, from work, and it was like kind of late on Sunday, and I had a lot of options. I could have watched Billions. I could have watched Killing Eve. I could have caught up on Grey's Anatomy. I, I, there was a lot for me to watch, but instead I went to my DVR. You need comfort food. Yeah, I went to my DVR and I was like, you know, I'm not ready for any of this stuff. I need to like, I would have to pay attention. So then I went to the guide because I still have a cable box. And the last 15 minutes of Dirty Dancing were on. And so I watched them. Amazing. And I was like, wow, I love Dirty Dancing. I love I love big dancing numbers. I just love everything about this. I noticed some detail in baby's dress that I'd never seen before. I was just like watching with new eyes. And I was like, I'm going to keep this going. What else? What other television feels like getting underneath a warm blanket? And that's Dawson's Creek. And so I watched the episode four to tango from season three. What happens? It's the end of Pacey and Jen trying to have a sexual relationship. Okay. And it's it's the very beginning of Pacey and Joey, like, realizing they have a chemistry. Wow. And it, it's, it's a foundational episode. It's one of my favorites. And... <laughs> and and as I was watching, I thought to myself, huh, I haven't checked out Tony Ortega's Scientology reporting website in a while. I need to. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just a cloud over Katie Holmes. Of like, what is up with this former Scientologist and what is she doing now? And I've got so many questions. Yeah. I, I mean, I I would like to know it all. But me too. And I just am dying to know who her stylist is and if he was ha- or she was happy with this look or wanted to just stab his eyes out or her eyes out. <laughs> It's so baffling. I will also say, as an Upper West Side uh, native, this is just a huge look for West 79th Street. Absolutely okay. huge. I knew I had I had known from other photos of it. That's where she lived. But if you watch the video in the article you pointed to today of Jamie Foxx mm-hmm. FaceTiming with her, mm-hmm. you can very clearly see the West 79th um, okay. street sign behind him. And I was just like, wow, this is a big time for the Upper West Near Side. Near the park or Riverside? I think, that, I think she's on 79th and West End, as far okay. as I can tell. Okay. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Upper West Side. Perhaps it's mean that I've said that, but it's in the video. It's not my fault. Yeah, it's true. I just, I I can't believe this. They're going public. I just can't believe it. What if they're not? Like, what if this was all a mistake? 
these photos in the gray sweatsuit are not a mistake. This is intentional. Well, the gray sweatsuit is a mistake. That's but true. it's, uh, you know, of a different kind. We'll see. We'll monitor the situation. We're so on top of it. Another situation we're monitoring is the royal baby situation in England. We are. There's soon to be a baby Sussex. A lot of, there's some feeling that perhaps baby Sussex has arrived and has just not been made public yet because Harry and Meghan signed like an Instagram, like, Harry, Meghan, and baby, in like in parentheses, and baby Sussex, which is like kind of a weird thing to do before your baby is born, but like maybe not. Mm, th- at this point, like it's pretty real. It's close you know, to it's being like, born. It's quite large. You She's know? on maternity leave. Yeah. The uh, second the baby's born, we're going to make a podcast strategy and, and talk about it. Well, not the second it's born because we may not know That's because true. they announced that they would be kind of taking some lag time before that they made it public in order. They're not doing the thing that uh, Will and Kate have to do where the baby is announced immediately yeah. with, like, the sign outside Buckingham Palace and that weird town crier guy who yeah. I think has absolutely no relation to the actual royal family. He just does that for kicks. But anyway, and she's not going to do the thing where she stands out in front of the hospital is— Correct. —is my understanding. So we—as soon as it's announced, as soon as we have information, we'll we'll make a podcast plan and we'll all be here with you. Yes, we will. In the meantime, yes. Julia has some other royal information <laughs> that she'd like to share on with us. On Saturday, I went to see Diana the Musical at the La Jolla Playhouse. I'd like to think it's the beginning of my career as a patron of the arts. And, um... <laughs> you, okay. You're a patron of a lot of weird arts. But anyway, Thanks. including just, like, weird voice memos on your phone. One day we'll do that. Like, weird things that Juliet saved on my, her phone My this voice week. memos are some of my greatest collection of my personal passions. It's Yes. Anyway, this week's weird arts patronage, it was to Diana the Musical. Could you tell us a little bit about who wrote and created sure. Diana the Musical? Books and lyrics by Joe DiPietro. Music and lyrics by David Bryan, so they did it together. Okay. Directed by Christopher Ashley. It was, like, workshopped in New York, and then, like, it, like you know how, like, there's, like, workshops for musicals in New York. Mm-hmm. It's part of the theater scene that yeah. I aspire to be a patron of. Sure. And <laughs> then immediately went to San Diego, La Jolla, which is, like, basically San Diego. That's where they found an audience for this okay. musical. Lovely theater at the La Jolla Playhouse. Really enjoyed it. Very comfortable, nice. It felt intimate. It was lovely. I bet it's, like, 400 seats in there, something okay. along those lines. Um, this, the run has been extended several times. It, wow. Yes. I learned about it from the, the other Elizabeth Holmes Instagram. And it was my friend Catherine's birthday. And so she wanted to do for her birthday. So we went. Happy birthday, Catherine. I didn't like learn about Diana, but I was like reminded of things I wanted to Google and research. Yeah. And like, oh, one, maybe, can you ask some of them? Yeah, sure. Like, well, it's sort of like more conceptual. Like, for example, okay. I didn't really realize that, like, we know so much about Diana because she was a source for the the book about her. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about this. You told me, you sent me a picture of Andrew Morton signing autographs at the— Andrew Morton said he had to get back to London because the royal baby was being born this week. So Andrew Morton is one of the tabloid journalists who has been covering the royals for, what, it must be like 30, 40 years. Yeah. 30 years now. And he famously wrote a book about Diana, which it was revealed after her death that she was the source for. She sat for many interviews. And the way she did it, just so you know, someone on her staff interviewed her. Like, Andrew Morton would send questions to someone on her staff. Yeah. The staffer would interview her. And I think there are just, like, hours of tape. And then he wrote a book 
that did not name her at a source, but like everyone knew instantly. And that is kind of what precipitated eventually the divorce. And yes. And as a result, I also learned this, like that's why Charles did a lot of press was like to like tell his side of the story. Yes. So I didn't really fully understand until seeing the musical mm-hmm. that and the second act of the musical is like quite good. I feel like I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, that we know so much about them basically because she decided to like tell her story. Yes. And so like that is like interesting. And so Andrew Morton was there doing a book signing, yeah, yeah, by yeah. the way. So this is in retrospect really craven, but at the time I was like 12, so I didn't know. Very soon after she died, he released an edition with just a transcript of the tapes. Yes. In it. So you can, and I did, like I bought it at age 12. I like it's at my mother's house. You can read it and you can just read everything that she said and it which is like a pretty you know it's a rich text yeah. it's definitely her perspective and she's in a certain state and has gone through a lot when she's talking about it but it's all there on record it's available there's also a documentary that i believe is on netflix right now that uses the audio mm. of that interview and it's like it's all archival footage and then just uses her basically narrating it yeah and it's really fascinating she she also i also like relearned that she did a lot more to kind of, like, provoke oh, yeah. Charles than people say about her now that she's died. I mean, I, I do think that there's a lot of, like, sainthood. I mean, also, she did a lot of amazing things. Like, yes. But there's a lot of, like, sainthood status that comes as a result of, like, a, a horrific, tragic, premature death. And so it actually made Charles, like, more sympathetic than he almost, like, ever is in the press, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe fair. But then I also had, like, a lot of questions about, like, why Camilla— ever got married and, like, how that happened, which I then Googled, which I found, like, really fascinating. Yeah. Which basically, like, Charles was, like, emotionally withholding and then went to into the military. And as a result, Camilla's future brother-in-law and father, like, basically arranged for her to marry Andrew Parker Bowles. So I, that's one theory. It's really funny. I was rereading part of this section in the Diana, in the Tina Brown book mm, the, other, that. the other day. Tina Brown's Theory is that Camilla actually loved her first husband more than Charles. Oh, interesting. And he was, like, apparently something of a ladies' man. And apparently Camilla was very into him and Princess Anne was also— Yeah, she dated him. Yeah. Princess Anne, who I sat next to at Hamilton in Yes, London. exactly. So it's really My all coming friend. together for My you. My old friend. And that he was harder to pin down. So she dated Prince Charles. And then when he had to go— He was, like, went out to sea for eight months yes. as part of his military career. And then she finally locked down— Andrew. Uh, Andrew Parker Bowles. APB. Yeah. Uh, yes, that was fascinating. Yeah. And then the musical is like probably like more, is like weirdly kind of graphic about her depression and how she like would cut herself basically. Yeah. And I don't think it's weird to talk about that or like, but it's just like kind of like not in line with the tone of the rest of the musical. It's, it's, it's not really musical fair. Right. But it is in there. So that was like interesting. And, you know, it's just, it, it was fun. It was a silly musical. About like a topic I like, I'm very interested in. What and was, was the, fun? What was the best musical number? The second act begins with a song called "Here Comes James Hewitt." Yeah, I asked you to send me a list <laughs> of the musical titles, and it's like that is what I immediately focused on. I actually have a question for you. Yeah, in the musical, James Hewitt doesn't hit the scene until like well after Harry's born, but he's been rumored to be Harry's father. Yeah, in your knowledge, when like chronologically, when is James Hewitt first present in Diana's life? I really do go by the Tina Brown chronology mm-hmm. here because I think that she is, like, the best source and kind of puts it all together. I do think it's afterwards. Gotcha. Because I think in the Tina Brown book, there are rumors about Diana and a, and a um, the, security personnel. Yeah. That's who bef- I thought, yeah. Before yeah. James Hewitt. I believe that rumor, by the way. 
I <laughs> yeah. So I think just chronologically speaking, gotcha. that's how it adds up. But you never know, because I, I think as you learned in this musical, <laughs> Diana would spin things to her own. She was like a media manipulator and also didn't always tell the truth right. and was definitely, you know, telling her own side of the things. Right. And as publicly significant and hardworking as she was, uh, also had problems and was also often difficult. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The James Hewitt number is like introduces him as a character in like a really big way. Like it's like, can mm-hmm. here comes James Hewitt and he just like comes in the really big scene. It really reminded me of how Hamilton introduces Thomas Jefferson in, in the <laughs> beginning of Act Two, but like not no offense. I mean, whatever. Not nearly as good or as artfully. Yeah. But but I was like, wow, the Hamilton influence is very clear in a very strange way. And you know, it was it was fun. It was silly. I like I just like I love musicals, so I don't care. Yeah. So I had a good time. That's great. I'm yeah. glad. And I and I'm I need to read the Tina Brown book. I've never read it. I'll learn so much. I will let it to you anytime, as you know. And you can text me questions okay, and great. anything that you want to discuss. That really goes to anyone who's listening this far and actually wants to read the Tina Brown book. I'll answer any <laughs> messages that you want to ask about it. Really anytime. Maybe you should just do an AMA on your personal Instagram feed. Okay. It'll be, like, three people. This will be, like, the time that I asked, like, everyone at The Ringer if they understood a Jimmy Buffett reference. And I was like, please DM me if you get this and just got no DMs. Amanda, don't worry. I get less Slack engagement from our colleagues than, like, anyone else on staff. So it's cool. If you saw The Beach Bum and want to talk about the Jimmy Buffett music cues and performance in that, also you can Slack me (laughs) or DM me or whatever. Um, (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much. We will talk to you when there's a baby to talk about. 